Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 55th program in this series. In the previous message, I was at the end of John chapter 10, and I will be continuing in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 22. In the previous message, I was emphasizing the point that the people did not believe in Jesus, and they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Because they decided not to believe the truth that was revealed to them, they were effectively in doubt. They doubted Jesus because they would not believe. And because of this decision, they were not going to be recognized as his people, as his sheep. He used the word sheep, him being the shepherd, them being the sheep, in order to describe his followers, those who would follow him, those who he would lead, those who he would know, and those who would know him. And because this would require an individual's decision to acknowledge the truth, in effect, live in reality, because this would be an individual decision, Jesus would have an individual and personal relationship with individuals instead of with the collective people or with the nation as a whole. Now, in verse 24, the Jews surrounded him and they said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. They were expressing their frustration. They had a lot of frustration because they could see that there was a lot of truth, but they were not willing to believe the truth for the most part because people were concerned about the consequences that they would likely have to endure if they believed the truth. And this is what I was explaining in the previous message. In this message, I would like to add a little bit more to help you understand the complexities that the people were struggling with. It wasn't just a matter of believing or not believing. There was more to it than just that. In this program, I would like to spend some time emphasizing the issue that it's not so much a matter of what they believe, but it's also a matter of all the other things that they believe. For example, they may very well recognize some truth with regards to Jesus. Obviously, they're expressing some frustration. Jesus is right there in the temple. They approach him, they confront him, and they demand that he explain to them something in a way that they can understand clearly. Speak to us plainly. Are you the Messiah or not? Obviously, they are recognizing some truth. They're just simply not willing to embrace it. And one of the reasons why is that there is a definition of the Messiah. 
Tell us plainly, are you the Messiah or not? Well, we need to consider that word, Messiah or Christ. We need to understand this word. We need to have a definition for this word. The people had a definition. Jesus did not fulfill that definition in the way that they wanted him to fulfill that definition. Jesus had a different definition for the Messiah. There were some similarities, and this is what inspired some of the frustration, was that there were some similarities. There there was a common understanding with regards to, to some aspects of what it would mean to be the Messiah. But it was the differences. It was the differences that led to frustration and disagreement and their unwillingness to believe. So one of the ways that I like to describe this is to say that it wasn't so much a matter of what they believed. It was a matter of all the other things that they believed. In other words, they did believe some things that were true, but they believed a lot of other things that were not true. And these other things that they believed that were not true were the origin, were the source of this frustration. And this happens a lot in Christianity today. You will find that there are a lot of people who believe the same thing, but they cannot relate to one another for very long because there are other things. There are other things that they believe that are not compatible. They believe other things that are not true. And I'll come back to this a little bit later. When it comes to the definition of the Messiah, the people were looking for a Messiah to fulfill their definition, to fulfill their expectations. As an example, they wanted a man who would establish or reestablish the Davidic kingdom. They wanted a man who would establish a kingdom there in Israel, and they believed that this would be their salvation. Their salvation from the surrounding nations, their salvation from other people who were not willing to live a righteous life there in the land. They believed that there would be a man who would establish the kingdom and he would rule as the king there in Israel. Now, Jesus could have fulfilled this if the people the religious leadership who were there in the land, if the people would have embraced him as the Messiah, then he could have established a kingdom and he could have asserted himself there as the king in Israel. If this took place, then there would be a war. The Romans would capture the Lord Jesus. They would execute him for sedition and he would resurrect from the dead, the people would welcome him, and he would be able to reign as the eternal king there in the land of Israel. Because the religious leadership there in Israel rejected him as the Messiah, he was not able to establish the kingdom there in Israel at that time. But he will at a later date. At a later date, he's going to return. And there are some prophecies related to the reestablishment of the kingdom there in Israel that Jesus will establish and he will rule there for a millennium, for a thousand years. This is referred to as the millennial reign. 
But we also know, according to the prophecies related to this, that there will be a final rebellion at the end of that millennial reign, which means that even though he will be established as the king here in the world, and he will rule according to the Mosaic law, we will have the perfect king, and we will have the perfect law, it still won't work out after a thousand years, there still will be a rebellion, and this will show that even if you have the right king and the right law, you still cannot have an eternal heaven here on earth because there still is something wrong with the people. In order to experience the eternal kingdom, this has to be established in the kingdom of God in the true heaven a spiritual kingdom that is not established here on this earth in a physical sense. And this is something that will take place in the future. But this was part of the definition of the Messiah. And like I said, Jesus could have fulfilled that if the people there in Israel would have embraced him in that context. But there was more to the definition. For example, the religious leaders believed that they had found a way to live in obedience to the Mosaic law, at least to the extent that they could. And they believed that when the Messiah would come, he would help the people to identify and understand the additional ways that a person needed to live in order to ensure that they would never violate the Mosaic law. They believed that the Messiah would come and add to their definition of what it meant to live a holy and righteous life. This was their belief that they had found the way to live, but there were some inadequacies in their definition that the Messiah would resolve. And Jesus was not going to do this. He was not going to participate in this at all. And this was one of the conflicts that existed between Jesus and the religious leadership was that he was not willing to participate in their pursuit of defining a lifestyle, of defining a way of life, of defining additional laws that they would live by so that they would never come within the boundaries of possibly violating the law of Moses. He was not willing to be a participant in this definition that they wanted him to participate in. And so because of this, he did not meet the definition of a Messiah as they wanted. So this is an example of how he did meet the criteria that they wanted him to meet when it came to the idea of him being willing to establish the Davidic kingdom. He didn't do that at this time, but he will do this in the future. There was an agreement with regards to that. They believed in that truth. He was certainly willing to fulfill that, and he will fulfill this at a later time in history. That wasn't a point of disagreement. A point of disagreement was that he was not willing to join in with the Pharisees in the definition of what it meant to live in obedience to the Mosaic law. So from this point of view, it wasn't a matter of what they believed. 
It was a matter of all of the other things that they believed that were not true, that would not fit in with the proper definition of the Messiah that Jesus was going to fulfill. And so if you can understand this additional layer of complexity with regards to why the people were not willing to embrace Jesus as the Messiah, then you can understand a little bit more what they meant when they asked him to tell them plainly, are you the Messiah? They could tell that he was the Messiah. They could tell that. They could see that. There was enough to go on. It was just all of the additional things that he was not willing to comply with that led to this frustration. And so they were asking him, who are you? Just tell us who you are. Make this clear. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to be a part of this because he was not going to fulfill their definition of the Messiah. If he would have said, no, I am not the Messiah that you want, then they would consider that to be a confession that he is not the Messiah. But if he says that he is the Messiah, then they are going to reject him because of the additional qualifications that they expect him to fulfill. So what you have here is you have a problem with the definition of the Messiah. And this is one of the reasons why it will be of no use for Jesus to answer this question, because there is another question that has to be answered first. They have to answer the question. They have to come to an agreement of what is the definition of the Messiah. Who is the Messiah? And what is the definition of salvation? They were looking for a physical salvation. He was there to provide a spiritual salvation. These differences were very important and were part of the conflict that was taking place. So beginning again in John chapter 10, verse 24, then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Verse 28, he refers to eternal life. This was part of the confusion. They were interested in their physical life, and the physical kingdom. And he explains to them, look, that is not what I am here for. That's not what I am here to do. There will be a time later when he will do this. But he explains to them that he is there to provide people with eternal life, with salvation by the restoration of the Holy Spirit. The religious leaders at this time believed that if a person would study the Mosaic law and apply the Mosaic law to their life, then they would by default have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. That was a belief that they had. It was not true, but that's what they believed. 
So Jesus speaks with them about the fact that he is there to restore the Holy Spirit, and they can believe that a person has a need for the Holy Spirit. But that wasn't the problem. The problem wasn't what they believed concerning the need for the restoration of the Holy Spirit. The problem was all of the additional things that they believed that were not true. They believed that through the study of the Mosaic Law, the Holy Spirit would be restored. Jesus did not believe that. He was not a part of that. He asserted that a person had to surrender to him Surrender to him according to the new covenant, the forgiveness of sins, and he would restore the Holy Spirit to those who would believe in him as the Messiah that he was willing to be. And through that news, through that good news, through that gospel, he would restore to them the spirit of life not according to their obedience or their study of the law, but according to a definition of another covenant. And they were not willing to believe that part. But when a person is resurrected in this way, through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit because of the complete forgiveness of sins, then there is no way for them to become spiritually dead again. There is no way for a person to lose the eternal life or the everlasting life that will be given to them because there will be no sin left unforgiven that would cause the Holy Spirit to depart. And this is what he was there to do. This is what it meant to be the Messiah. The people were not willing to embrace that. But this is what Jesus was there to accomplish. This is the new covenant of God, of the Father. And this is why no one would be able to take the sheep away from the shepherd. No one would be able to take the sheep away from this shepherd because there is no one who can kill a person who has been made spiritually alive. Therefore, there is no one who can steal a person who has been made spiritually alive. And therefore, there is no way to destroy them because they are not able to function as God created them to function. You see, when you are born again by the Holy Spirit, there is no sin that can cause the Holy Spirit to depart. This is what happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were made spiritually alive. But in accordance with the law of sin and death, when they sinned, they died. The devil told them a lie. They believed the lie. They rejected their God in the sense that they no longer believed their God. And that was sin that resulted in God departing from within them. When he departed from within them, They became spiritually dead, and everyone has been born from Adam and Eve, have been born into this world spiritually dead. When Jesus spoke of the wolf who came to kill, steal, and destroy, that's what he was referring to. He was referring to the original wolf who came to kill people so that he could steal people for himself, and because we were not created to function that way, by default we will be destroyed. This is not going to happen anymore because there is no person 
There is no demon, there is no anyone who can kill a born-again believer, a child of God, because when a person has been born again and they have been made into a child of God, there is no sin. Even a moment of unbelief, there still is no sin that will cause the Holy Spirit to depart from within an individual. Therefore, no one who has been born again by the Spirit of God in accordance with the new covenant, there is no one who can be killed, stolen, or destroyed. And this is what Jesus was referring to in verse 29. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Verse 30, I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Why? Because Jesus has asserted that he is God manifested in the flesh. That's what he said in verse 30. According to their understanding, according to their vocabulary, according to the way that they define words and phrases. This was clearly understood by the people that Jesus was asserting that he and the Father really are the same person. Now, in our language, using English, we could understand this differently. We could interpret this in many different ways. But you need to start with the fact that Jesus was speaking to those people. And those people understood what he was saying, and they responded in the way that they did because that's what they understood. And it was his intention to communicate that to them. In verse 32, Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. That's verse 33. Blasphemy is a word that is used to describe the situation when someone claims that they are God or equal with God. By definition, this is the definition of blasphemy, It is when a person asserts that they are the same as or they are equal with God. Now, Jesus responds in verse 34. It says, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are gods. And I need to skip over verse 34 for now. This was not a defense. He is not suggesting that we are a bunch of little gods. I will have to come back to this in the next program. Moving forward to verse 35, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scriptures cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? I will have to come back to this as well. Verse 36, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. They sought to seize him because he again asserted 
that he is God. He is God manifested in the flesh. Now, going back to the topic of the definition of the Messiah, when Jesus says these things about him and the Father being one, when he says that the Father is in him and he is in the Father, when he says these things, he is asserting that the Messiah would be God himself. That God himself is going to be his own Messiah. He is the Messiah. He is the person who comes and personally manifests himself in a way that people would see him, know him, hear him, understand him. He would come as a man in order to communicate with them clearly the truths that he wanted people to understand. But the people did not want the Heavenly Father or the living God to be their Messiah personally. They wanted a man to be their Messiah. But God wants to be the Messiah himself. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 55th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 10, verses 24 to 39. And in this program, I focused more on the subject of the definition of the Messiah. That the people had a definition that was different from the definition that Jesus was using in order to define himself, establish himself as the Messiah. And so because they had a different definition for who the Messiah would be, Jesus was unwilling to answer the question, Are you the Messiah? He did not answer the question. He told them that he had answered the question before, that they could continue to evaluate him according to his works, but he was not going to answer their question at this time. And I will continue with this in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.